Well, hey friends, what is up? Hopefully you're doing great. Uh, it is just so great to have you with us for our gathering today and uh, so thankful that you've just joined us and are jumping in with us as we start a brand new series today for the winter season here at Praxis Church going through the letter of Galatians. This has been on the, on the docket for uh, a number of months, probably a year, thinking about the importance of going through this letter, and really excited to jump into that today. I'm extra excited today because we actually have a guest with us. Um, his name is David Harvey. David is the lead pastor at Westside King's Church uh, in Calgary and uh, out west, and he is not only lead pastor, but carries most of the teaching in that community. Not only that, that, David is also a theologian. He has his PhD and has spent many, many years, and I'm sure he can nod his head to this, uh, just engaging himself in this letter of Galatians. And so I thought, could it get any better than having somebody who has a lot of experience really get the ball rolling for us, that this is what this is all about. And so I've had a conversation here with David that's going to really be our teaching for this week. And he's going to come at it, help us see what we're getting into, who it's written to, some of the context, the background, and some really key things we need to know as we start this journey together. Then the plan is next week, we'll begin with chapter one and kind of get this thing going over the winter months. And may I just say, there's no better time really than the season of epiphany in the church calendar than to go through a letter like Galatians. The season of Epiphany is celebrating God coming to Gentile people like most of us. And now we get to engage this letter that's been written to a group in the ancient Mediterranean. And they're really wrestling through and, and yeah, just wrestling and how they're going to follow Jesus and how they can live the way of Jesus out in their time. And I think it's going to be beautiful for us to pick it up a couple millennia later and carry it on and ask, what does this mean for us as well? So with all that said, really excited. Um, David is just a wonderful guy. He'll share a little bit about himself, I'm sure. He is from Scotland, so not only do you get like really good, like a theological mind, but you actually get an accent. Like how cool is that? Like this is, today's not going to be boring at all. You have a guy with a PhD and an accent. Can it get any better? Here's my conversation with David as we look at Galatians today. Well, hey, everybody. It is just so great to have David Harvey with us. And I reached out to David a little while ago um, just to see if he would actually come and help us kind of get the ball rolling uh, in our series through the letter of Galatians. David, it's so great to have you here, man. Hey, thank you. So great to have you here. Um, hey, I gave you a little introduction already. You probably, I don't think you heard that. That's okay. But why don't you give us a little bit of background, a couple minutes just on who you are, what you do. Mm-hmm. I, I prep people. We have an accent today, which is amazing. Yeah. Not only do we have a PhD, we have an accent, so it's going to be a really good time, but uh, share a little bit about where you're from, what you're doing. Well, of course, the great thing about having an accent is instantly people believe you. Uh, the things that you say sound more believable because, right. you know, like, because <laughs> you're foreign, right? That's why I get I get conned all the time in Canada because everybody sounds believable because everybody has an accent over here. I don't know if, yeah. if you know that or not, but... <laughs> Um, so yeah, so my name is David. Uh, I'm uh, I am one of the uh, lead pastors at, uh, at Westside Kings Church in Calgary. Uh, my particular focus and work at the church is is around teaching. 
so that's what I hear. My wife and my daughter and I moved to Calgary in 2016 from, uh, we were living just outside Manchester in the UK uh, prior to that. So we are we are new immigrants to Canada and uh, kind of figuring out how to live out here in the West. And I'm sure that uh, people in Ontario have a whole host of thoughts about what that involves uh, to, to live out here near the near the Rockies, but um, but yeah, so so that's uh, so that's what that's what I do. Uh, that's what I'm uh, kind of over here doing at the moment. Uh, prior to that, and probably why you and I are chatting today is I, I worked in in academics. Uh, so I was a teacher at a at a seminary in the UK. I taught New Testament with a particular focus on on Paul's writings. Uh, and I did my, my PhD and my doctoral work at the University of Manchester uh, on the subject of Galatians. So uh, so every now and again, I find myself in conversations with pastors around the world about uh, about Galatians. So it's a real privilege yeah, yeah. to be here to talk to you about that today. Sweet. Yeah, those annoying guys on Twitter that just uh, start taking <laughs> all your time, for sure. That's hey, I love well, it. <laughs> With the Manchester piece, so like City or United, is is that a thing? Like, do you have a preference? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. This is like this is really let's you know move into t- you know tense. You know, nothing we say <laughs> from here on out will be as tense as this moment here. But no, I'm a Manchester United fan. I uh, okay. I was uh, I I was kind of around in the days of David Beckham uh, when when you used to see him walking around the streets of Manchester. So uh, you know, yeah, I'm on the red side of Manchester, not the blue. <laughs> nice, nice. What do you love about Canada? What's your favorite thing about Canada being here? Oh goodness! Well, I—I I mean, so I'm from Scotland originally, um, and everything in Scotland is considerably smaller. But it's—you uh, know—one of the best things about Scotland is being outside in the great outdoors. Um, and I found being over here next to the Rockies, uh, being outside, like I—I I try and spend as much time outdoors as I can. Uh, I do. Um, I, I kind of distance run in the mountains, uh, which is a great uh, pastime. So I live about, you know, I can I can be up the top of a mountain 45 minutes after leaving work. So I, I quite enjoy that and cross-country skiing uh, in the cold and snow of Alberta, of which there's lots of. So I've really appreciated uh, being somewhere with such great outdoors uh, options as, as I get over here in Calgary. So great. Yeah, you're not going to, I don't know if you've ever been to Ontario, you're not going to quite get the the mountains, the, the landscape yeah. here. Um, <laughs> sometimes we wonder why we live here, but it's all good, especially our friends in BC and Alberta and stuff. But yeah. It's so yeah. great to have you here. Hey, thank you. Well, I was thinking today, I woke up this morning, you know, 10 years, our church has an interesting story. It started 10 years ago, kind of as a multi-site and has mm-hmm. rebranded as a church plant the last couple of years. In the last decade, we've gone, I was just thinking this morning, just jotting down, we've gone through Mark, mm-hmm. the Sermon on the Mount twice, First John, Luke and Acts, nice. Revelation, we took some time through. Um, one of our big series a number of years ago was First Corinthians. Did a number of themes in Exodus. We did Jonah, First Thessalonians, Philippians, which was a blast. Nice. And then last year, every every winter, we try and do like a walk through a book or a letter. Last year, we did the Song of Songs, which was spicy and pretty awesome. Nice. Um, but this series, Galatians, has been in the works. It's been yeah, just in the works on in my mind and heart, and just thinking through um, something applicable for today. And I just think, man, the letter of Galatians, is there any moment than now? And I even think of the church calendar, like Epiphany, what a great time. You know, we celebrate Jesus coming to Gentile folk like most of us. And so what we want to do is give you a little bit of room here to help us kind of get the ball rolling, maybe with some 
context around yeah. what we're dealing with. You've spent a lot of your life wrestling through this stuff. So maybe let's start there. A little mm. bit of context, just, just about Paul. We know Paul's the yeah. writer of Galatians. What are we dealing with here? Yeah. And yes, yeah, so, so, you're, so you're dealing with a letter written by Paul, uh, this early Jesus follower uh, who has a, a spicy history himself, not as spicy as Song of Songs, <laughs> but, uh, but definitely, uh, definitely spicy. Uh, I always think Paul is a fascinating character for any of us to study uh, about how God works with people. And, uh, you know, there's a kind of there's trajectories of stories in Scripture. There's people that God seems to call and then ask to do something completely different from what they seem to have been doing. And then there's people that God calls and seems to just sort of say, hey, I really like what you're doing. I just don't like the way you're doing it. Um, and that's how I take my my reading of Paul is that, uh, you know, <laughs> people go, well, wait a minute. Wasn't Paul going around Christ- killing Christians when God met him and uh, when Jesus met him? And, and I actually almost there's a part of me loves that that, that Jesus meets Paul and turns his life around, but this determined passion to be absolutely committed to the thing he's committed to, that seems to be there through his whole life. It's as if God meets Paul and says, your work ethic's fantastic, but your message sucks. So, you know, we got we got to sort of turn that around a little bit and do some work. And so, so you get this character, Paul, he starts planting churches around the world. He basically, uh, I think it was Tom Wright who said that Paul, uh, Paul entered a town and either there was a riot or a revival and, uh, and, and sometimes both uh, <laughs> at the same time. Uh, and, and so at some point, Paul finds himself in, in Galatia and plants some churches there. Galatia is modern day Turkey. Uh, so if you've ever looked at that sort of part of the kind of Western European sort of what was the Roman Empire, you look at uh, that part of Turkey, uh, that's that's broadly where you are. If you think kind of modern day Turkey, this is broadly the place that, that Paul is writing to. Complex place because the Roman Empire sort of cuts its way through the middle of this area. More than likely that Paul is writing to some of the parts of um of Galatia that were that were Roman influenced, uh, but if you look at the kind of broader area known as Galatia, it kind of spreads further up into the north and was inhabited, actually by um, by Gauls at various points. And and if you read descriptions of the people that lived there around about the time of uh, of of the Paul's writing, sometimes the descriptions sound like what we classically know the Celts and the Gauls to sort of sound like. I, it really has no deep theological point other than to mention that that this is the closest Paul comes to ag- addressing people from Scotland because the Celts are sort of, you know, <laughs> this is the people that are, that are reading this here. Uh, so I'd say that as a Scotsman. Um, but after Paul has, after Paul's planted this church, it appears that, and, and what, what do you know of Paul, you know, the, all the stuff that we kind of try to keep in our mind whenever we talk of Paul, this apostle of grace who's going around the world offering people the, this access to Jesus via grace. Um, it's important that you track what you mean by grace uh, when, you, when you're understanding that message of Paul, that really what Paul's saying is that you have been welcomed into Jesus' family. Um, when he says by grace, what he means as without any prior regard for who you are. Uh, so the word grace in the Pauline literature gets kind of lost sometimes in churches and we say, oh, grace is free. Um, and then we read all the stuff the Bible asks us to do. And we're like, this sounds like the worst free deal ever um, because, <laughs> because it seems like there's a lot of strings attached. But really what Paul means when he talks about free grace is that unlike almost everything else in the world which we get because of who we are of what we've done, the grace of Jesus comes to us despite who we are and what we've done. 
So this is hugely significant as a as a Jewish breakout movement because Paul, this Jewish man, is going around the world saying to people, you as non-Jews, as Gentiles, you, you mentioned Epiphany a second ago, you as Gentiles can now be fully part of the kingdom of God, fully part of Jesus' salvation without having to observe Jewish ritual practices. And um, and those ritual practices have various sort of things, perhaps Sabbath observances, perhaps food laws, perhaps circumcision, all pretty, pretty hefty things to, to deal with, um, some for more than others. And uh, But then Paul leaves this church, as is his way. He moves on and goes elsewhere. And from what we can assess, he leaves and another group of Christians appear. Really important that we say this, that they're Christians. This other group of Christians appear, and they seem to as best as we can figure out from reading Galatians, right? And there's a lot of scholarly argument over this, but my take would simply be this. This other group of Christians from a Jewish Christianity turn up and say, everything Paul told you about Jesus was right, but you need to adopt certain practices now that you are Christians. And so it's like, now that you're in, here's the new things you've also got to do to be properly in. And that seems to, one of those things seems to have involved uh, circumcision, but also there seems to be some illusion that it had something to do with food laws and Sabbath observance as well. Paul is elsewhere in the world at this point, hears about this, and loses the plot is the best way that, that I can think to describe it. And so he writes this letter back to the church in Galatia to essentially ask the question, what the heck is going on back there? Right? Um, because he's hearing that they're beginning to start adopting these Jewish practices which, bear in mind, Paul himself is a Jewish man, so he probably has adopted some of these practices himself in his life. His problem seems to be that they're adopting these thinking it will make them be better Jesus followers and make them be better Christians. Uh, so what you get with this letter of Galatians is very unusual um, you know, features. Like if you were writing a letter in the ancient Roman world, Drew, if I was writing to you, I would always begin with saying who I was just so you knew who the letter was coming from. I would then offer some greetings to you. I would then offer some thanksgiving. I would say, here's stuff we're thankful for. Here's stuff I'm grateful for. And then we would get into, now here's what I'm writing for. The same thing as you and I, we all do this. We send an email, dear Drew, I hope this finds you well. I hope things are healthy at your home. The reason I'm writing today is, if you, if you grab any of Paul's letters at random, he does this all the time. Hey, it's Paul. Here's who I'm writing to. This is what I'm thankful for. In Philippians, you've done a series on Philippians. In Philippians, the thankfulness seems to be most of the letter. He's just thankful about everything. In Galatians, he says, hey, it's Paul. Here's to who I'm writing to. And then he basically begins with how on earth are you abandoning the gospel and the grace of Jesus? So right. he has he has no thankfulness at all. Like this is the sort of letter sort of equivalent of of turning up at somebody's house. They open the door and you're just like, when is the food happening? Right? Uh, you'd be like, oh my goodness, how rude! So in ancient Roman traditions, Galatians begins rude, and and most scholars think this is probably because. Paul was a feisty character, but also because he's so mad that the gospel of grace seems to be at threat in Galatia, that he doesn't have time for thankfulness. Maybe he doesn't have anything to be thankful about. So, so that would be kind of how I would get us to the door of the letter to sort of before we jump into it. How's that? How's that work for you, Drew? <laughs> so good. Yeah. I mean, 
yeah, getting the context is so important. Again, mm-hmm. I think even just the concept for a lot of people that we're reading somebody's mail. Yes. Um, you know, sometimes we have this, I, I've heard people say like the kind of the golden tablets view of scripture. Yes. And um, then you realize like, just like First Corinthians, we went through mm-hmm. it, you're kind of this corresponding and here you have Paul, yeah. yeah, tripping out because he's left and now hearing, you know, hearing in the ancient world what's what's going on. Yes. Um, and I love incredible. that as well that you say that, that he's, yeah. he's on one end of the phone call. You are listening right. in on one end of a phone call. So we don't quite know what they've said. We're having to build that together from what Paul has written to us, but we're kind of getting to listen in. And, and I love what you're saying there, but it, it, we are reading someone else's mail, which is important to remember. It's written by real people two real right. people in a real point in history who were dealing with some very specific real problems in their lives. Paul didn't sit down and go, going to write some theology and call it Galatians. He's dealing as a pastor with an issue. And, right. um, and, he's, do, and he's still new to this. Like most, most scholars think Galatians is probably the second letter that Paul has written. Some think it's the first. So, you know, if you think about that and Romans is the last, you can kind of see him getting better at presenting his arguments and his ideas. Yeah. But Galatians is raw. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, just the, and I've heard others uh, kind of unpack that. Like sometimes it's hard for us when we again. I think we think about scripture to think somebody's getting better and more developed, but th- that's <laughs> that's all our stories, yes, right? Like totally. you think back to your own journey, your own life. You, you know, yourself ten years ago. What you mm. know? I just think through just the importance of that growth piece, and you see that in him for sure. So you and people come at this a little different, but mm-hmm. you you like to kind of break it into three different parts yes. chapters one and two three and yeah. four five and six that's true yes. you want to take a minute and just talk about the posture and obviously yeah. we're going to get into this a little bit yeah yeah well you know i mean drew i i you know my first ever visit to church i was like two weeks old it was a pentecostal church and so from my very very earliest roots you know we have to break servants down into three parts and so right. no <laughs> i have i have better reasons than that i'm just joking um I, I think that, the, I mean, you actually, the reason I like to break it down in three parts is it helps both us navigate the letter a little bit ourselves, but also if you jump into a lot of commentaries, they'll actually do something similar where there seems to be, broadly speaking, three parts to the letter. And broadly speaking, you can kind of, you know, I mean, I want to be a little more specific than one to two, three to four, five to six, but it works for, you know, uh, for for an easy conversation in that sense. And and what you'll find traditionally, people would break it down as kind of one to two is narrative, uh, you know, three to four is theology, and five to six is sort of ethics and practical life advice. Now, that's actually I find quite helpful, uh, unless you then disconnect all three from each other. Um, actually, what I think you see happen in Galatians is Paul gives you a narrative to allow him a gateway into some pretty deep theological reflection that then he wants to come out of that theological reflection into, so how then should we live as a result of this? Like Paul is a pastor. Uh, Paul is a practical theologian. So the one thing you can never really accuse Paul of is theologizing for theologizing's sake, right? Now, I love theologizing for theologizing's sake. For me to sit you know, in a coffee shop with a friend and just talk about the Bible is great. And I think Paul actually would like that as well. But when he writes his letters, he wants people to change. He wants life to be different as a result of that. I mean, you've studied 1 Corinthians as a community. You know that that's true. 
through, right? That he's like, wait a minute, there's some theology and there's some things I need to say, you know? <laughs> and, he's like, and he's like, and I think for Corinthians, the sort of headline is somewhat similar to Galatians, what the heck is wrong with all of you? <laughs> and, um, so so that's, how, that's how I break it down, into those three letters that serve. So if you actually look at chapters one to two, Paul intros and then starts to deal into, hey, some stuff happened. And I want to unpack some of that stuff that happened to help you understand some things. Three to four, he really wants to dive into the implications of Jesus. That's how I would would want to sort of deal with chapters three to four. And then five to six, here's some stuff about how we live. And and really importantly, and you'll see this when we get to to talk about that, this is how we live as a result of Jesus in community. So Paul isn't giving you individual life experience so you can have a more zen life but he's he's always seems to be pushing towards the church is a community of people it's a called out community of jesus followers so how do we live together in that calling amazing amazing um so let's talk about chapters one and two for Mm. a minute it seems like um, this cruciform kind of way, yeah. obviously, is all over Paul's language throughout mm-hmm. the New Testament, cruciform life, mm-hmm. and how crazy and upside down that is in the first century. Yes. And, you know, we talk about our moment and what, what's, you know, what's going on here in these first couple chapters? What does it speak? What is it saying? What's Paul doing? I know you've alluded a little mm-hmm. bit, but just around that, that cruciform piece and yeah. the present evil age as well. Well, you could actually spend a whole host of time in just in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. And, and, and like if, if you're tracking along with our conversation, you may want to leaf to that or scroll to it on your app. Because look at how Paul begins the letter. Paul, an apostle, right? Uh, but then, and it, what's a lot of fun to do, by the way, is compare how he introduces Galatians to another letter. Pick First Thessalonians, for example. You know, so normally what you get is, hey, it's Paul, an apostle, with these particular group of people. But in Galatians, you get Paul, an apostle. That's two words in Greek. Right. So, so, so Paul, an apostle, and then he says, not from humans, nor by humans, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead oh, and all the brothers and sisters that are with me. So I always like to point out to people, Paul gets two words into Galatians before he starts arguing. <laughs> so he says his name, <laughs> Paul, he says, apostle in English, it's three and apostle, but in the Greek, it's actually just one, one extra word, Paul, an apostle. And then he's going, but not just any, not just an apostle that just like got named on the street. Like I'm not from some human origin. I'm an apostle because Jesus made me an apostle. And then because he's mentioned Jesus and God, the father, he then has to mention the resurrection, right? Um, which is unusually, particularly if you've done first Corinthians, you'll notice this, this is the first and only explicit res- resurrection reference in Galatians. But, but it's the status of the resurrected Jesus that is giving Paul the right to write this letter. But he's on the defensive from the very start, right? Uh, but I think it's important for us to observe that Paul doesn't see his connection to what's going on in something that somebody else asked him to do. This is something that Jesus asked him to do. That's important because then he says, so it's all the brothers and sisters with me, verse 2, to, to the church he's in Galatia. So this is who I'm writing to. Grace and peace, he says. Classic Pauline opening. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we get a little bit more unpacking. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This beautiful kind of creedal opening. Uh, that he gave himself for our sins, he says, to rescue us. 
to sort of draw us out, to, to sort of to help us out from something, but from the present evil age. There you have. Now, it sounds like very high, and if you've got a background in church life, it's sort of language like this that can sometimes turn you off, like, whoa, that's a little, you know, left-behind series, apocalyptic-sounding. <laughs> But Paul is an apocalyptic thinker. He thinks that God is revealing something now. That's what the word apocalyptic means, revealing. God is revealing something now through Jesus. And the first thing that Paul wants to reveal to us is that the world is a mess, right? Uh, that, that where we are right now is a mess. Now, I don't know if anybody would agree with me on a statement like that. Um, and, uh, but this is this is your first entry into Paul. Paul's take is, hey, has anybody noticed the world is a bit of a mess. And I feel like then we get transported from probably around about the early 50s of the first century to 2022 instantly. And we go, yes, the world is a mess. (laughs) And uh, I was doing evening prayers with my daughter just just last night. um, And uh, we were reading from Psalm 4, where where there's this line in Psalm 4, my daughter's nine, and there's a line in Psalm 4, which says, uh, which says, uh, and we look and say, oh, that we wish for better days. And my daughter was like, yup. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, it was like she was affirming the psalm. And, and it's enough the same. Of this, enough of this virtual school stuff, So, So now this present evil age, what does Paul mean by the present evil age? Well, here, this is not often what you hear uh, a Bible scholar say, but I would say you choose, right? You know, Paul is is in his context, but he's looking at all of the things which now that he knows Jesus, he looks at these things and he and is revealed to him that these things are a mess. So for Paul, perhaps it was the overwhelming power of the Roman Empire. But for us, it could be all sorts of things. Basically, anywhere where that we look and go, that doesn't look like Jesus, that's the present evil age. It's the things which draw us as humans away from our intrinsic humanness and towards something broken and, and disturbed. Now, why that's important, I think, Drew, is because we want to keep that in our heads right at the very start of the conversation, that everything Paul is going to say is coming from a commentary that the world is broken, but that God is revealing a way to fix it. And that way is Jesus. So so that would be, I think that's how I would interpret that phrase, the present evil age. That's going to be our foundation for why Paul wants to offer something different. Um, and so what he does then is he says, basically, we know that God's rescued us from the present evil age, but... But for some reason, all of you in Galatia are beginning to lean towards something that's evident of the present evil age. You're actually leaning back, and he's, and he's confused by that. By the time we get to chapter 3, he's even going to say to them, why are you turning around and trying to start something by the Spirit of God but end it with your own efforts? This is all speaking to Paul's sense that something's wrong and we're not going to find the solutions in the way things are. So what he does is he then begins this letter with a bit of biography. He says, well, you've heard about me and you've heard that, that he said, you know, he literally says, I was trying to destroy the church of God. I was excelling, he says, beyond many of my peers. Uh, I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So he's setting up this story of how good his life was. And then he says in verse 15 and verse 16 of chapter 1, but what happened? God revealed his son in me. And that word is that apocalyptic language again. It's all of a sudden, all of a sudden, but notice this, what Paul doesn't say, and I just, I love some of these pieces just for our own lives. Paul doesn't say, oh, and I met Jesus, right? Paul says, God revealed his son in me. 
So actually what Paul's reading, rooting into is that this story of Jesus is much deeper than me happening to bump into him, but that God was forming him in such a way before Paul even realized it. And I feel like there's a level that we as humans can just take that and think about it for our own lives as well, is that we often tell our story of our relationship with God about when we met God, forgetting <laughs> that Paul's point is, yeah, but God knew about all of this in a much deeper and more, and more focused way. So he basically then sets up this story about about how his encounters with various apostles uh, kind of validate his understanding of the gospel, validate that actually God has been working directly with Paul, but also validate the way that Paul is leading. And he does this somewhat controversially, um, and this is pre-social media, remember, but he does this by pointing out that the Galatians may have slipped away on their initial call of living out the grace gospel, but Paul basically tells a story in chapter 2, verse 11, wherein he says, well, but, you know, so did Peter. And he picks on the kind of top person in the church and says, you know, Peter actually lived out a hypocrisy, almost as if Paul's saying, listen, I get that this is difficult. I get that it's hard to live in grace because we live in grace saying we're not going to judge you based on who you were or where you've come from or what you've done. But so often we slip back down that hill and Peter did exactly that. What Paul then does in a really famous piece of Galatians in chapter sort of 2 verses 16 through to the end of chapter 16 is he points out that we have we have trusted in Jesus he said and and essentially what Paul's saying is this and, and you can read these chapters in your own time but Paul essentially says this we began by trusting in Jesus so we must continue by trusting in Jesus because the only hope we have is that Jesus proves to be trustworthy and the metaphor that Paul uses to describe this, because he's basically saying, I'm not going to worry about my earnings. I'm not going to worry about my status. I'm not going to worry about who I am. I'm just going to trust that Jesus has taken care of all of this. And the extent to which he commits to that, he says this in verse 19, because they're talking about this in terms of Jewish law versus grace. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. And verse 20 of chapter two, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in my flesh, he says, I live by trusting the Son of God who loved me by dying for me. So Paul now, think about this. Paul now considers himself dead, right? Essentially that his previous life has been brought to an end. And everything he does from this way forward is somehow modeled in the crucified Jesus. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. So it's the death to one way of living, present evil age perhaps, moving into a new way of living, which is somehow formed and shaped by the cross shape of Jesus. Um, and so that that kind of is what Paul tries to do in the first couple of chapters of his, of his letter um, that I think is worth us just holding on to. Yeah, yeah, so good. And so much, and when we get there, I think we're going to see a lot of just like, how this speaks today in our mm -hmm. culture of power. Yes. Um, you know, being, you know, just I think of a culture that's often drunk on power and just like even yeah. what we've seen, uh, even in our own moment around abuses in the church mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. 
yeah, that power piece. And then you have Paul come along and this, this cruciform way of, of thinking and living is so beautiful and it will be a challenge. I know like it's a challenge, it's a challenge to embrace when everything is, you know, shouting at us to, to climb the ladder. And I know stat, we'll get into this um, uh, at a a different time as well, just around status and whatnot. It's such a big piece of the letter. Mm. Talk about the oneness piece, chapters three and four, like the unity that like Paul obviously. Well, well, if it, let me just live in Paul's metaphors, right? Which is going to sound maybe a little weird, right? But but the way into following Jesus is is via the cross, right? Now that that sounds like the most boring thing a pastor has ever said in church, right? Mm-hmm. We're like, yeah, like we know, right? <laughs> it's like you know, the cross is how we come to Jesus. But I just wonder if everybody's kind of thought about it in the way that Paul says it. I am crucified with Christ, which is a slightly different thing than simply saying the cross is the way that, you know, the cross has made a way is what we often say. Whereas Jesus, for Paul, the way is, I mean, the the Latin you would use is via cruciformity. Via is the Latin word for way. It's the way of the cross, right, that we actually... um, Edith Stein, a great uh, German thinker, talked about uh, Christwissenschaft, the science of the cross, right? That actually the cross isn't just how we come to God. It's actually the model of the way that we come to God. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Now, that raises the question then, Drew, and again, I'm talking highly metaphorically here, but what Paul is really saying is everybody's dead. <laughs> like you have literally put to death your old life to, to work into a new life. And what is the definition and shape of that new life? Well, the shape is Christ, right? Christ is the shape of who we are. And we're all called together into that. And that has been accomplished by God's Holy Spirit. You see that early in chapter three, uh, Paul says, you know, like, wait a minute, did you receive the Spirit by anything other than believing what you've heard? So after you began with the Spirit, what makes you think you can use something else to continue on this journey? So so we all come into, somehow we die to ourselves and now become crucified with Christ through God's Holy Spirit. So, so Paul then goes on to talk about how this is happening. He draws this by... by um, what do you call it, by some comparisons with Abraham. But one of the things that he that he talks about is our rescue to oneness, right, uh, which, which I really like. In, in verse 13, uh, Paul says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Um, one thing I just want to point out that, that, that perhaps might, might just help you in the visualization of this, the word that Paul uses for um for redeemed is is that gets translated redeemed is, is the word ex agora. Now, if you've ever been on a, a trip in the Mediterranean, at some point someone will have taken you to an agora. An agora is just the word for marketplace. Um, but it's specifically in Paul's time, the marketplace was where you went to buy slaves. It was where you went to buy humans. And and Paul's his description of what jesus has done for us is that he has taken us out of the marketplace right he has drawn us away from the things that we were slave to by by somehow be exchanging himself for us and and so that exchange happens again it's christ exchanging himself for us so think about the building of the metaphors we've died with christ we've been exchanged and redeemed from slavery through christ so Paul leads this through this chapter via a conversation about Abraham, because, of course, Abraham, for, for Jewish thinkers, is such a key point to the salvation story. And Paul's building towards essentially saying that Abraham becomes father of all of us. And he does this by arriving uh, at verse 
23, uh, 24 of Galatians chapter 3. And he talks about how the old way of living worked like a bit of a babysitter just to kind of hold us in place. It's like, you know, when you hire a babysitter, what are your requirements? You know, you don't expect your babysitter to teach your kids math, but you would like the house not to be burned down when you come home, right? So Paul's like, what was the old system and why are you arguing for the old system? Well, it was just a babysitter, but Christ has brought maturity to us. And and how has that maturity come? It's come through trust. So verse 26 of chapter 3 in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith or trust, depending on how you want to translate that. And then he says this, for all of you who were baptized into Christ. So think about that language, we were baptized into Christ. Um, we have now clothed ourselves with Christ. So somehow, like Paul is, you know, N.T. Wright has this saying about Paul where he says, why use one metaphor when five would be good? Um, so, so he imagines us diving into Christ, but then he also imagines us, if you permit a weird sounding metaphor, but somehow putting on Christ clothes, right? We're clothed with Christ. So we become Christ appearing, right? And then he says this famous passage that many people will have heard before. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Uh, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's a huge detour I want to take with you, Drew, on why it's important that Paul says male and female. Um, I, I, I don't think we have time for that massive detour just now, but just put it, when you get to chapter 3, verse 28, uh, I'm available to come back and talk to you about that. But Paul blows out the, any objections we have to anything other than the equality of men and women if you read that passage properly. But, but what he's doing for us here, Drew, is basically pointing out not that men and women cease to exist, not that even slaves and free people cease to exist, and not that Gentiles and Jews cease to exist. What Paul's pointing out to us is those categories no longer carry worth that separates us from Jesus. So, so Jesus has essentially bankrupted the age that we live in. Our way of categorizing now gets bankrupted, and instead we're all Christ-shaped, We've all come via the cross. We've jumped into Christ. We've put on Christ. So, so good. So, so basically, you know, your maleness, for want of a better term, is about four or five layers beneath all of the stuff that Christ has put on top of us. And Paul's right. kind of saying, let that die a little bit. And mm -hmm. finally then, just to sort of show you that he really, really wants to, to sort of think that way, two little verses for you. One in chapter uh, 4, verse 6. Paul says, hey, you know, you are God's sons. And now it sounds a bit sexist to say sons, and you might want me to translate that to children. But the reason that Paul uses the word sons is a little piece of Greek or Roman history that sons are the heirs to inheritance, right? So a better way would be because you are his inheritors, God has sent the spirit of his son, right? So he wants to draw that little, because your son's his son, his spirit has been sent into our hearts, and the spirit who calls out, and even in the English, it'll say this now, you get this Aramaic word, Abba, right? Uh, so, so God has sent his spirit into our hearts, the spirit of his son, and that spirit cries out, Abba, Father. Now think about this for a second. How much is the spirit of God really the spirit of his son? Well, Jesus spoke Aramaic. So if Jesus was to say the word Father, he would say Abba. So much is it actually the genuine spirit of Jesus is in you, you even start to talk like him is what Paul seems to be sort of leaning at here. Um, and, and, and finally then, switching it over just a couple of verses later, 
Paul writes to them in chapter 4 and verse 19. He writes to this church in Galatia and he says to them, you know, my dear children, for whom I am pains of childbirth. Why is Paul in pains of childbirth? Well, here's his answer. Until Christ is formed in you. So let's layer up all of our metaphors now, Drew, that are so important for the oneness in Christ. We've died in Christ. We have been baptized into Christ. We've been rescued from our old evil age in Christ. We've been clothed with Christ. We are have the spirit of Christ, and now Christ is being formed in us. So the oneness is the fact that that's true for all of us, that we're brought together in Jesus. So good, man. Like so rich and just <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. So helpful. So helpful. So two more questions. Let's look at yes. uh, just kind of as we land the plane here. Yeah, yeah. Chapter five and six. Yes. Talk to just because this is the big thing for some people that have obviously done the Bible reading thing. They've read through mm-hmm. Galatians, which only takes 20 minutes, by the way. I hope That's everybody true. can do that. Even at the beginning of this journey, just to read through it once before mm-hmm. us going, it would be great. Talk to us a little bit about the freedom piece. Mm-hmm. Like you talk mm-hmm. about the babysitter um, yeah. and the, the now we get into this law piece, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Talk to us about what's, what's the dynamic there quickly as we kind of wind down here. So Galatians 5 verse 1, it's for freedom that Christ set us free, right? Uh, and, and the problem with that is, and this is always the case with Paul, remember what we said right at the very start, pre- rescued from the present evil age. So don't see the word freedom. It is freedom. And let me just go jump to my Collins Dictionary and define what freedom is. No, no, no. By the time you get to chapter five, hopefully what you pick up from Paul is Jesus is going to define everything for you, right? Everything. So you now have a crystal formed dictionary, right? So when Paul says we're free, what does he mean by free? Well, let me ask you this question. Was Jesus free? (laughs) And we all want to say yes to that. I mean, he died on a cross for us, right? So, so, So freedom is going to be defined by sacrifice. Freedom is going to be defined by our care for each other. It is not the free Freedom. Well, it is the freedom actually to do whatever you want. <laughs> but if you really have rooted yourself into the clothed of Jesus Christ formed in you, spirit of God's son in you, then your freedom will be Christ shaped. Right. And therefore, what did Christ do with his freedom? He sacrificed. He gave. He cared. Now, what's fascinating is if you then follow chapter five right the way through to chapter six, and you can talk about so many verses in here. But just notice how what Paul describes doesn't really fit what we would often mean by freedom. Love your neighbor as yourself. Stop biting and devour each other. Walk by the Spirit. Don't gratify your desires, right? Well, that's what I want freedom for. I want freedom to be able to do whatever I want. Paul says, don't do that. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of the Spirit is different, where goodness and gentleness and self-control comes out of us. You know. But then, here's a definition of freedom for you. Galatians 6, verse 2 carry each other's burdens. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like, here's what Paul's saying. And like, we could, again, you know, we could spend months talking about all of this, this stuff, Drew, but I would encourage you, read Galatians 5 and 6 and notice that that four times Paul talks about bearing and carrying somebody else's burdens, right? Um, Like, so whatever, like we think freedom is, 
Paul wants to define it as a commitment to walk together in community with the brokenness and pain of that community. I mean, like for me, like I don't want to get political uh, in, in a church where, that I've never visited in person, you know, but like so many of our problems in the pandemic, Drew, have become from a completely faulty view of what freedom is, right? Where if we, if we take Galatian take on freedom, which is freedom is the commitment to carry the burdens of somebody else, like I think our response to this whole journey of the last two years would be completely different. But Paul drives us into that and basically says the only thing that we should boast at, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, is the cross of Jesus through which I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. He's imagining this fundamental shift in how we understand our lives. And Jesus and the crucified Jesus is reforming that. It's how I relate to God, it's how I understand my own value, and it's how I relate to you as well. So good. Hmm. So good. Hey, I know you've, you've kind of done this, like, throughout, hmm. but I mean, this is so rich, so helpful for us. Um, why? Give me just a one minute as hmm. we kind of wind down. Why is this important for now? You know, I know, I know we're touching on this and all the, these, yeah. these kind of amazing themes that are kind of being drawn out. But like, mm. why, why, as we kind of as a community embark on this, why is it probably more important now than ever? I think that uh, there's, a line, there's a line, let's just talk even just about very much the last couple of years. I hear this line quite constantly, you know, we're all in this together. And that's just not true. Right, Some of us, our experience of surviving COVID has been decidedly different than that of others. And what happens when we think it's all in together is we use the lens of our own lives to make sense of the situation and judge it accordingly. What Paul is inviting us to do is to put down our own lives and see everything through the lens of the cross. Uh, and if we have, and this leans back into your Philippians, but of course Paul wrote that as well, you know, if we're talking about a Jesus who gave up his privilege in order to die on the cross for us, when Paul talks about us being Christ-shaped, us being formed in the way of Jesus, then then the giving up of our privilege so that others might might be helped is 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 now not something that Christians occasionally do, but is actually central to our identity as Christians. So for me, that's one of the reasons why, this, why Galatians is so important for us today, because we, we're counting all the wrong things. Paul says at Galatians 6, verse you know, 14 and 15, the world is crucified to me and I to the world. And then he says this, you know, circumcision and uncircumcision, it doesn't mean anything. What counts is the new creation that God is building in us. We're rescued from the present evil age. We're coming into this new creation. And I think that what we're seeing, uh, what, the, what the pandemic has revealed, let's use that uh, you know, thing, is that we all actually are very focused on our own journey and our own thing. And our question is, how does this affect me? The right. way of Jesus in Galatians asks us to invert that thinking, I think, and think about think about the other, think about bearing burdens, think about what a cross-shaped life actually actually looks like. So good. So good. So good, man. Uh, just so thankful. I think this helps in just uh, helping us kind of think uh, mm. about 
what this means for us, what's happening. These are the types of questions, the types of themes we're going to be looking at as well over the next mm. number of weeks, all the way up through uh, Epiphany into Lent mm. and into the Easter season as we wrestle with this. Yeah. So thanks for being here. We're just yeah. so, I know it's the beautiful thing is like the, the opportunity to, in a, in a digital kind of moment, be yes. together like this is awesome. So yeah. um, listen, brothers and sisters, th- those of you that are with us, we're actually in Zoom right now together. And we, we do want to give you an opportunity at, at the end of our gathering here. We're not coming to the tables today in the sense of um, Eucharistic communion together today. Well, our hope is that we'll be back in the same room at some point here in the next little while. But we did want to give some common room just to wrestle uh, through a couple questions around this. So I'm going to pray here and uh, kind of close this with a common prayer, but we just want to give you space. There's going to be some leaders in these rooms if you want to stick around. If that's like uncomfortable for you, that's okay, but I really do. These people are amazing. I know them well, and they just want to serve you as best. I think two questions for us to wrestle through here and just think through is what stood out to you? Like, ah, oh, the, 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 just the the beauty of hearing what's happening here, what stood out to you. And maybe for some of you, you just want to wrestle through this one thought, like what are you excited about as we kind of go on this journey together? What excites you about what you have uh, heard today? It would be amazing just to wrestle through that. So we're going to break down in groups here, but brothers and sisters, let me pray this over us as we go. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Brothers and sisters, I know in this environment, it's unique to kind of be in a digital environment like this, but I hope you take some time just to wrestle through this. And as this prayer prays, this, this almost this longing to be back together, um, we do, we anticipate, we love you, uh, and we just can't wait to be back in the same room. But for now, let's wrestle through this together. David, thanks for being with us, man. Uh, we're going to send you to these groups. Cam will send you. Have an amazing rest of your day.